Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie. As the holiday season is on us, uh, some of us are not reading as much, some of us still are, <laughs> but we're going to catch you up on what we've been reading over the last couple of weeks, and we've got a really super beautiful, inspiring, fun, outstanding book to talk about together. Yes, we do. We're going to start it out, though, Joe, with you telling us um, the books that you've been reading over the past two weeks. Well, as I say, I've been a bit of a slacker. I've only got two solo reads. Um, I have been working on one incredibly long biography that will be held over until next time. Um, But this time I read a book called Classic Calves by Jonathan Knight, which no, is not about cattle. Because that's what I hear every time you say this title. Or about leg muscles, which would be, I guess, the other possibility. (laughs) But, uh, no, it's about the Cleveland Cavaliers of the NBA. Um, To the extent that I ever care about the NBA, the Cavs are my team, and you might find that weird, and it would be weird, but the truth is this. I went to one NBA game, and it was the Cleveland Cavs and the Orlando Magic. I guess I could be an Orlando Magic fan. I did have a really awesome (laughs) mesh starter jacket in the mid-'90s that was a Magic jacket. Let's don't get started on sports jackets from the 90s that you still own. I I don't own it. I wish I did. I would wear the heck out of it. So would our son. But but, uh, but anyway, the the Cavs were my team. So I checked out this book. Um, It was a fun concept. Jonathan Knight picked the 50 most outstanding games in Cleveland Cavs history. And the Cavs didn't become a team until I think it was 1970, maybe even 72. It was the early 70s. Sadly, most of the games were kind of after my time as a fan. Uh, So, you know, there was some element of like, oh, here's some new stuff, but also some element of like, man, I wish there were a few more on here I remember. But the Cavs were pretty miserable (laughs) when I remember them. So (laughs) nobody wants to read about the team that went 21 and 61 winning a meaningless game. But but that aside, it was an interesting little read. Uh, And then more substantively, I read Fear by Bob Woodward. Uh, Bob Woodward, of course, a name that echoes in the resounding halls of journalism. He's a legend, most notably for his work with Carl Bernstein on All the President's Men and all of the famous Watergate coverage in the early 1970s. That's that Bob Woodward. So Bob Woodward decided he would write about another U.S. president, although in fairness to Bob Woodward, he's written, I know he wrote about the Bush White House and the Clinton White House, because this is just something he does. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a Washington insider. He, that's that's kind of like his role in the world. Uh, but within that, he wrote about Trump. Now, the new Bob Woodward book, which hopefully I can talk about next time, is actually Rage. However, this is what happens when someone <laughs> of subpar intellect tries to pick these things out from the library. He ends up with Fear instead, which is two years older. But uh, it's probably better to read that one first. Yeah, it really does come first. And he just kind of leaves fear off uh, at the end of the part that he's talking about, which is headed toward Trump's impeachment. It's about 2018. Um, Fascinating book. Woodward, again, knows everybody who knows everybody. Uh, Got unbelievable sources that just detail all the backroom stories. Yeah. If this is your kind of thing, you'll enjoy it. Now, obviously, if you're a big Trump fan, uh, you probably won't enjoy it. uh, But uh, sorry about that, I guess. Bob is... uh, is truly a national treasure. First thing, if you if you want to learn more about Bob, check out All the President's Men. 
it is like the political book. I mean, he and Carl Bernstein just did things journalistically. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know if if Nixon was going to shut down the Washington Post, if their lives are in danger. If you ever watch the movie, which I also recommend, <laughs> uh, Woodward is played by Robert Redford, which he had to probably like. Carl Bernstein is Dustin Hoffman. It's a great, great movie. But there's a famous scene in the movie where he goes over to see the editor of the Washington Post, and they go out on the guy's lawn and turn up music really loud in the house because at this point, there's so much like government surveillance, they're getting kind of paranoid. Um, so, you know, it was against that kind of background that he did his best work, but his insights on what was going on behind the scenes if the Trump White House, if the second book's as good as the first one, I may have to buy them just to amaze myself with these stories. Well, this is an author that you have liked for a long time and you like to keep up with what he's writing about, whatever it is. Oh, absolutely. And he did a book also not too awful long ago. Now, the the key with Watergate is he had an inside source. He had a guy who was dubbed Deep Throat uh, and, and nobody could ever know who it was. Well, Deep Throat lived to be like 95 years old. And at the end of his life, Nixon's dead. The whole thing's kind of blown over. He intentionally said, let's let's blow my cover. Uh, so Bob Woodward got to be part of that. And he wrote a really cool book. Mark Felt was the name of the guy who was Deep Throat. And that was a great book. I mean, you're talking about a high up guy in the CIA who was just spilling stuff all over the place to this this Washington Post journalist. I suspect that sort of thing still happens, but I'll leave that for another day. And if you're interested in any of these other books that Joe's talking about, we'll try to get them all in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. There's anything Bob writes is going to be interesting. And again, for every season, there's another book. I think he said in the notes this was his 18th book or something like that. And there's been one more since. It's impressive. Hey, you know, he's he he does what he does. Well, I did read a lot of books over the past two weeks. Um, but to be fair, some of them I read, like one of them I read with my son. And then another one that I actually finished over these two weeks is one that I started a long time ago and then I just picked back up. So the first one was The Beauty and Breaking by Michelle Harper. This is a book that I picked up from Book of the Month a long time ago. I want to say back in the summer, and I just was not in the right space to read it right then. The idea behind The Beauty and Breaking, um, Michelle Harper is a doctor, um, and she works in various hospitals over the course of the books. And she look book and she looks at um, the different things that her patients teach her about life and about how it is in our broken places that we become most whole. Uh, it's just a beautiful book, lots and lots to learn, and a really, really nice story of a woman learning to find herself and how to uh, take the things that didn't happen like you wanted them to and make something really cool out of them. And I don't want to uh, speak so much to that book as to say that, that this is one of the things you've taught me, that sometimes you pick up a book and you read 30 or 40 or 50 pages and it just doesn't resonate and it's okay. You don't. Uh, okay. I was one of those people. If I started a book, I'd finish a book. Yeah, I used I, to be that way too. I encourage you. Have the freedom to say, <laughs> not me, not now. And sometimes they resonate later. Well, there are just too many good books in the world to spend a lot of time on a book that's not for you. And I wasn't sure about this one. I read the first chapter and I really thought I would never read it again, but I kept it. And then these past two weeks have been the perfect time and I'm so glad I kept it. The next one I read was The Star-Crossed Sisters of Tuscany by Lori Nelson Spielman. This is another one that came recommended from Book of the Month Club. This is where I get a lot of my really good books. 
the one that we're going to talk about together today is one that I bought from Book of the Month Club. So um, highly recommend it. Uh, the Starcross Sisters of Tuscany is a little bit of a lighter read in a lot of ways. It is the basic plot is um, this family who has been cursed for the second daughter in the family for every generation to never find love. And so this deals with three second sisters in this family as they figure out how to break the curse, which they discover was never really a curse after all. I really liked this book because um, of the magic in it. It just really focused on the way that we create our own beauty in life and that um, happiness for me doesn't have to look the same as happiness for you. And we should just let everybody live the way they want to live. The third one I read was called 10 Blind Dates by Ashley Elston. This is a young adult book, and it was just really light and a lot of fun. I got it again because a holiday book, and I'm so into the holiday books lately. They just make me happy. Um, this one was about a high school girl who broke up with her boyfriend right before Christmas, and her large family decided to cheer her up by setting her up on 10 blind dates, each chosen by a different member of the family. So if you think about your own family and how you think that that would have turned out, you probably have a pretty good idea of how this book went for her. Just sounds like it's got like semi cheesy Hallmark movie written all over it. Is I think a there, possibility. I think there's a Hallmark movie maybe called this. I don't. I think. <laughs> I think there's a movie called this anyway. But they're not. It's not Adam Sandler's Fifty First Day. <laughs> I don't think that they're based on the same thing. But yeah, um, it, it's a it's a really cute premise. Then the next one that I read, I re reread the best Christmas pageant ever by Barbara Robinson. And I read that again this year because when I read it to my kids several years ago, my son was really little. And when I pulled it out again this year to show it to him, he was like, yeah, I don't remember that. Um, and so we sat down and we started reading it immediately because you just, you have to, you have to remember this book. We finished it. And then the next week, my son's teacher said, hey, guess what? We're going to be reading the the best Christmas pageant ever. And, uh, he was not very thrilled with me, but he really, really did like the book. Um, as I don't know how anybody could not. So you love this book. Why don't you tell what it's about? Oh, it is really one of those kind of evergreen Christmas premises. It's a Christmas pageant that seems like it's going to be a disaster, but uh, hidden within disaster are levels of meaning that, that had slipped by, which, let's be honest, is a real danger of the holiday season. We can get into our ruts and our routines, and we go here, and we eat this, and we do that, and we don't think about it, and... In its own YA kind of way, the best Christmas pageant ever does a great job of bringing you back to the mystery of Christmas, to the absolute stark insanity of a baby in a manger who came to save the world. And if you can't get excited about that, well, then, then uh, uh, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, uh, an elementary school student may not be as excited about that, but who would not get excited watching the Herdmans cause all kinds of chaos? <laughs> and so um, it was a really fun read that we got to do together. The next one is one that I have kind of just picked up and read in pieces over, I don't even know how long, but I finished it again this week. It's Present Over Perfect by Shauna Nequist. I've read this book, I don't know, four times now, maybe. It's been a lot of times. I reread Shauna Nequist books 
just again and again. And I'm currently going through one of her first books, which is called Bittersweet. I think that Shauna's writing is beautiful, for one thing. Um, She also writes books of essays. All of these are books of essays, which are usually pretty short. So they're easy to pick up and just read a little bit when you have time. But they're also incredibly meaningful because in all of her books, what she looks at is some kind of piece of life that almost always seems to be overlooked. So Present Over Perfect deals with the idea that it's more important for us to be um, inhabiting our own lives, really living them fully for whatever that means for us, rather than trying to make them look perfect to the outside world or meet anybody else's standards of what a good life should be. Um, and, and we all get caught up in that, especially at this time of year. So um, for me, this was a really good reread right now. I know you love her her stuff and uh, you know important work that that she does and and her husband too. Yeah, he's he's a great writer as well. Um, and I always joke that when my writer self grows up, I want it to be like Shauna Nequist. I just I <laughs> love her so much. The last book that I read on my own. This is a long list, you guys. Um, Flora and Ulysses by Kate DiCamillo. This is a book that I pointed out to my daughter in Barnes and Noble several years ago, and she thought sounded cool. Anything about animals, she's all into. She bought it. She liked it. And then this year, my son needed to find a book for AR, so she highly recommended it to him. He protested strongly. Um... But he laughed like crazy all the way through the book. And even though he kept insisting to me that it was just okay, he liked it enough that when he was done, he was like, hey, mom, you're really going to like this. So I read the book, too. (laughs) And it was it was just a really, really fun little book. Um, Flora is a girl who um, loves her comic books, who feels very much misunderstood by her mom and then her dad. Has, has left. They've been divorced and her dad doesn't live with them anymore. Her dad is the one she has felt closest to. She finds a superhero squirrel in her backyard whom she tries to save from various calamities and it ends up that in many ways the squirrel ends up saving her and her idea of family. So just a really precious, fun, incredibly sweet book. And obviously, as my son would attest, really, really funny. He kept asking me about the different parts that he thought were hilarious and had I gotten to them yet. So maybe I should just read more YA. This sounds a lot more pleasant than the Trump White House. but uh... <laughs> It's it's good, good stuff. Yeah. But this leads us into another really pleasant book. Pleasant's the wrong word. Just great book that we both read together. Um, this one is Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. Joe, you want to tell what it's about? Well, Anxious People is a novel about idiots. <laughs> they say that a couple times. But I think... As, and we talked about that when I read it a while ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this was a book you struggled with a little bit at the outset. Mm-hmm. Uh, you tell what it's about, and then I'll tell well, something about it. Well, I mean, without trying to give everything away about this book, it's it's kind of a novel about a hostage situation that devolves out of a failed bank robbery that ends up changing the lives of everyone involved. And you want to, you, you, you can't tell the players without a scorecard almost. It's one of those kind of things. Uh, and you can't talk too deeply about the characters without giving away some of the true treasures of the book. Oh, sure, sure. But, um, you know, the, the thing about this, as with, so many of Bachman's books, and and we could rave about a man called Ove, Uve. I struggle. <laughs> he's he is Swedish, and and these are all translated. Um, 
I feel like when I read Bachman's books, I'm a better person for reading them. He has an incredible talent for making you see the human condition with fresh eyes, uh, which is a hard thing to do, but a valuable thing to do. But the other thing is he makes it fun. I mean, when I say that a book is morally good and I feel like I'm a better person for reading it, it just you can almost groan under the weight <laughs> of that expectation. Yes. You don't do that here. This this is a very quick read. Uh, it's light. It's fun. It's I mean, funny. it is serious. You, you'll, you'll laugh. You'll cry. Uh, possibly sometimes within the same page or two. Yes. Um, one of the things that stood out to me, though, when we were talking about, you know, what are we going to say about this book? I said, this might be like the most quotable book ever. <laughs> you really could just open this book to like any two pages, read through, and you would find, you know, a couple of little like gems of wisdom that he's just deposited there. And they range from the, the sardonic to the, the deeply spiritual and philosophical, uh, but they're fun. Um. Like you said, I, I kind of struggled with this book at the beginning. I had high expectations after we read A Man Called Uwe, and this was very different in a lot of ways. I yeah. mean, his basic, his writing style is the same for both of them, but the storyline, at least in the beginning, seemed very, very different to me, and I wasn't really sure I was going to like it, but I fell in love fast, and then I fell in love hard with this book. I think this book presents an ideal world that you just, it feels real. You you want this kind of a world to be real. This is the kind of world that you want to live in, which seems really weird to say about a book that Joe just said was a hostage situation because of a bank robbery, but mm -hmm. it, it's, it's definitely true. I, I was reminded somewhat of A Long Way Down by Nick Hornby. Um, and one of the threads that kind of runs through Bachman's writing it very heavily through this book you know, he, he jokingly kind of flippantly says it's a, it's a novel about idiots. It's a story about idiots. In many ways, it's a story about people with some pretty profound mental illness. Uh, there's some OCD that goes through here. Uh, there is most definitely some depression. There's a suicide attempt, which is kind of pivotal to the backstory. Um, and... In no small measure, I found it kind of funny to read this after the Bob Woodward book because the thread that ties the two is so much of human life is about the narratives that we create in our own head, about ourselves, about others, and, and how easy it is to get carried away in a world that might not even really exist, um, which is kind of creepy in, in Bob Woodward's view of things. But, but in it, this one, it's, it's, it's much... It's much softer, and, and people ultimately are what bring you out. Reality, the, the, the ability to get into the, the grassroots relationship level of things, which I would submit if, if you're in government, if you're in politics, if you're in anything, not being able to do that mm -hmm. is a massive handicap. And, and Well, that lack of empathy is a massive handicap. That's it. In any place and in any position, this book hinges on the ability of the characters to be empathetic toward each other, even when they don't totally like or understand each other, but the ability to say, okay, I may not get this entirely, but you're a human being, just like I'm a human being, and we can connect on that. Well, and empathy, you know, expresses itself in our actions. It's great to feel 
kind or benevolent toward your, your fellow man, but how do you treat the idiots in your own life? Uh, and how do you accept the ways that you are those <laughs> yeah, idiots yeah. just as much as anybody else Right, is? right. Because everybody in this book has their, their peccadillos and their curiosities, but they're all ultimately endearing characters. Some, I guess, a little more than others, but but you you identify with them and you come to know them and like them. Uh, and and the book, it, it just it felt right for this time of year, for the, the 2020 year, um, for a world that in many ways has been turned upside down. And I feel like I get on Twitter every day and go, my gosh, they are the idiots. Well, yeah, the, the, we're all the idiots. Uh, and this, how do we deal with that? Yeah, this book doesn't try to solve any of the problems in the world today, but it offers an idea for the way that each of us might be able to contribute to the solving of the problem. And it's really a pretty simple idea. In the end of it, you look around, you pay attention, and you do what you can right where you are. Yeah, yeah. The uh, One of the, the great characters isn't actually in the story. is talked about only by characters who remember this person and and I, I tried to find the exact quote and I couldn't find it because again it's the most quotable book ever and they all blur together. But at one point this character is, is kind of asked about a fundamental theory of life and said if I knew the world was going to end the next day I'd still plant an apple tree today and and wow what a great postmodern reality because it's chaos out there it's crazy the world might end or something terrible might happen but you know what plant your apple tree that's really all you you can do and and honestly the apple tree more often than not is a metaphor plant kindness plant love uh and and it's harder than ever in many ways because if you can't get within six feet of people it's (laughs) it's hard to be too loving maybe it's easier to be loving i don't know but I don't. I think that this is one of the ways that we can be loving in this time period. When I finished this book, however long ago it was, I wanted to write about it, but I didn't know what to say about it. I'll write about books a lot on my website. Mm. Um, but I didn't know what to say about it, really, until I had somebody else who had read the book and could talk to me about the book and help me tease out all the things that I was thinking about the book. And I think that however you are talking to other people electronically, you're listening to a podcast, whatever it is that you're doing, um, that connection is really, really important. Absolutely. And you, you read my mind. You read where I was, I was thinking. There's one of the, the characters in there is talking to the other characters and said, I, I had an affair once. And they're all like, oh, what? And, and it was somebody else who used to read books. And she swapped books with this person. And, and just... I love that whole idea, the fact that there was this this deep emotional connection you can find over books, which in many ways feels like one of the more intimate things you can do. And, you know, she goes on to explain she, she never did anything except swap books with the guy, but uh, it's still, you know, made that this impact. Connection. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully uh, we can give that to you. I know it's awesome to have that together and to get to, the, to talk about that. Uh, but uh, please feel free to get in touch with us. Yeah. You can email us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. You can leave us a comment um, on my website if you want to, to let us know what you're thinking about, what books are making an impact on you, what else you think that we ought to be reading and, and what you thought about it. 
And for now, just uh, push pause, go by Anxious People by Frederick <laughs> Bachman, and then you'll thank me, I hope. If, if not, you can throw tomatoes at me by the email. But thanks for listening and keep reading.